The Bible has so much wisdom for our times. At a time when people are buying into a mood of hatred and division, there's an important verse from Acts chapter 17 and verse 26 in the New Testament, which says, God has made from one blood every nation to dwell on all the face of the earth. That's why the spirit of the living God is calling believers to learn that every human being has in common one color, our red blood. We all bleed the same. Protesters and rioters often operate out of a sense of righteous indignation, even self-righteousness, not fully aware of their own need for redemption. The great unwashed, unchurched masses today tragically have no real understanding and education about Christian doctrines such as original sin, the doctrine that everybody on earth is born a sinner in need of the Savior. And if you don't perceive your own need of repentance and redemption, that's a dangerous place to be. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. We're living through a clash of civilizations between those who actively believe in the Bible and those who oppose this word of God. Suddenly, because societies can be so easily manipulated through mass media, we can go overnight from maintaining social distancing to mass street protest, all crowded together, demanding social justice. Nowhere in the history of ethics are we told to create more justice by committing injustices. There is such a thing as righteous anger, but lawlessness and anarchy must never pass for righteous anger. You cannot disguise love with lawlessness. You can't disguise justice with thievery. In my more than 40 years of ministry, I've never witnessed such mass insanity as is going on right now when people are literally calling evil good and good evil. But 1 Corinthians 1.25 says that what appears to be foolishness concerning God and the Bible is actually much wiser than human wisdom. American society in particular, where so many intercessors are praying and believing for a third great spiritual awakening, is being manipulated with the language of victimization and virtue signaling. In fact, virtue signaling is a lie because the Bible says not one of us is virtuous. No, not one. Only the Lord, our healer, is the virtuous one. And when we give our hearts to the Lord, then we can be responsible, virtuous human beings. Some of my favorite churches are perfectly integrated because we are forgiven individuals. We're one in Messiah. We've learned that God redeemed us and paid the same price for each of us with the precious blood of his son, Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. 
Many intercessors are fervently praying and believing that America will repent and lead the world in a third great awakening. And that's why I believe there's so much spiritual warfare, plus the fact that we're also witnessing the birth pains, the beginning of sorrows that Jesus said would lead up to his glorious second coming. But dark forces are trying to pit Americans against one another and then for discontent to spread overseas to other nations. The world just desperately needs the balance of what the Bible teaches, that we are one human race with different levels of skin pigmentation. That's all. Immorality has long been glamorized by Hollywood and the media in devastating visual images and vulgar language, but shockingly, now even promoted in kindergartens and elementary schools and accepted by many so-called social club churches. How many visual images of sensory overload can a person's psyche and spirit assimilate every single day? We've been through it all and seen it all. Every calamity, cyclone, catastrophe, massacre, mass murder, plane crash, earthquake, tsunami, suicide bomb that happens around the world shows up in our news feed, paraded before our eyes and ears. Biblical values are mocked and censored as dangerous. Many who claim great intellect just simply can't reason properly. And because they deem God and his word to be worthless, God has given them over to a worthless mind. But the world desperately needs God's wisdom more than ever. We also need to develop a biblical worldview in order to be able to absorb all the news and information that's thrown at us constantly without us falling into fear or despair. Jesus responded wisely when a crowd described to him a local atrocity. A group of Galileans had been killed while worshiping in the temple, killed by the Roman governor. But Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, he said, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or Jesus added, do you suppose that 18 persons who were killed when a tower collapsed in Siloam were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? He said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So Jesus is telling us that some people die in accidents, some die naturally, some, God forbid, are even murdered. But the bottom line is that we're all going to perish, unless, of course, we make the rapture. But we are all in need of repentance. That's what we all have in common, the need to repent and return to God, the need for atonement, the desperate need we have of the Savior. Recently, the mayor of New York dispersed a crowd of Orthodox Jewish mourners warning them not to violate his social distancing rules or they would be arrested. Yet many local and state leaders were silent and didn't lift a finger when rioters and looters overran the streets of America. 
The Bible, in the meantime, has all the answers about what's going on prophetically. Did you know that despite great technological progress, history is nevertheless in decline? We're not advancing morally upward towards a utopia, but society is marching downward toward a short but satanic dystopia that will be dictated by a ruthless world dictator whom the Bible calls the Antichrist. And only the intervention of the rescue of Jesus will save our planet we don't need to agonize, for example, about climate change because the Bible predicts King Messiah will renovate this earth when he returns. But nevertheless, history has been moving ever since the fall of Adam towards its culmination. There has also been a parallel universe in which the kingdom of God has been built through the ages. Redeemed individuals have been added to God's invisible kingdom in the midst of much ongoing spiritual warfare in the nations. Charles Darwin's book, The Descent of Man, speculated whether man was descended from some pre-existing form. And while I don't subscribe to Darwinism and the theory of evolution, it can truly be said that man has descended from his original creation. People never will truly ascend unless we are regenerated and born again. When we're born again by the Holy Spirit and by the washing of the blood of the Lamb of God and by the washing of this word, then we do ascend upward to the Father. Otherwise, unregenerate mankind keeps descending from the fall, having begun in the image of God, but having sunk into sin that will ultimately degenerate into the very depths of rebellion during the time prophesied in the book of Revelation called the Great Tribulation. Romans 1.28 explains it well, because mankind did not like to retain God in their knowledge, so God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Now the word reprobate here means depraved, unprincipled, shameless. When God gives a society or a nation over to a reprobate mind, then this shameless society loses the ability to judge with right judgment. Shameless societies invent and worship their own gods. Jesus said his return would be as in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, Abraham's nephew, who lived in a place called Sodom, which you know is synonymous with sin. As the time of the Lord's return draws nearer, it seems that People have less and less wisdom. And I've noticed a growing, what shall I call it, but insanity, unreasonable behavior and decisions. People are calling evil good and good evil. You know the kinds of things I'm talking about and how distressing it is to maintain personal peace in such a growing and traumatic world. But Jesus bequeathed to his followers not only his peace, but also his presence and his wisdom for us to be able to navigate these troublesome times. The Bible says, in all of your getting, get wisdom. Over in Proverbs 4, 7, it says, though it costs all you have, get wisdom and understanding. The authorized version, King James says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. So as we see the world unraveling, it's high time to seek God with all of our hearts, 
to repent, to return to God, and to examine ourselves. Give ourselves a spiritual checkup to be sure that we are actually walking in the faith because the days are evil, divisive, and deceitful. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul exhorts us in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, to examine yourselves to see whether you're still in the faith. Test yourselves to see if your faith is, in fact, genuine. Don't you realize, Paul asked, that your people in whom Jesus the Messiah lives? Or could it be that you're failing the test? Well, critics were always challenging the Apostle Paul's authority and credentials. So at the close of this letter, he challenged the Corinthians to verify and check up their own faith. After all, the Corinthians had been idolaters before they embraced the Lord. So Paul asked them to examine themselves to see if they had really renounced all idols and debauchery and if they were truly putting their trust in the Lord alone. You see, it is possible to hold on to an insincere or superficial faith. And so Paul wished them to examine carefully their motives and character and fruit. The commentaries explain that this self-examination implies that any professing believer should be making an open confession of the Lord, that we're not ashamed to share our biblical convictions, and that we're walking in harmony with other genuine believers and as much as possible with all men. Let's be candid and ask ourselves, do we hold a sincere and hearty belief in the Lord? If the Spirit of the Lord is in us, we'll be conscious of daily communion with the Lord. His presence and His promptings will keep us from leaning to our own understanding, which could get us into trouble. So He guides us, He sanctifies us, and He also comforts us during troublesome times. So how do we really know that we're in the faith? Well, if the Spirit of the Lord is in you, He'll definitely be in your thoughts. He'll speak to you. He'll speak to your conscience. He'll guide your decisions. He'll prompt you to do things and to say things or to be cautious and to withdraw from situations. Is he the chief of all of your affections? Does he reign in every compartment of my mind? Or do we keep him locked out of certain rooms in our hearts, so to speak? Well, the soul knows the answer to these things. And what is the terrible alternative? Well, Paul said the alternative is to be a reprobate, rejected and cast away by God. We don't want that. It's so dangerous to try to throw God out of our national life. I read about a species of ants that live in subterranean tunnels in Africa and the young ants and the queen ant are sheltered securely underground. The worker ants go back and forth from their catacomb to search for food. But if the queen is disturbed or even molested, the workers, even from a distance, somehow sense it and they become nervous and uncoordinated. And if the queen is killed, the worker ants become frantic rushing around aimlessly, and eventually they die in the field, unable even to find their way back to the safety of their colony. Well, what an analogy that is. 
as soon as mankind kills off God, as if they think they could, society becomes disoriented and frenzied, ending up in death. You know, in today's society, people have become so degenerated and abusive to one another that parents aren't allowed to spank their children in many cases to correct them. But no such constraints have been put on God. He still chooses to chastise and to discipline us when we go astray. The Bible says that whom the Lord loves, he corrects. A parent that doesn't love will not correct. When we sin, when we step into darkness, when we step into the devil's domain, a loving Heavenly Father chooses to correct us. Hebrews 12, 6 declares, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every child of God whom he receives. That may sound to you very severe, but actually it's God's way of protecting us. A poem often used by the late Christian evangelist and apologist, Ravi Zacharias, of blessed memory, starts out like this. When God wants to drill a man, watch God's methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him, and with mighty blows converts him. Whoever wrote that poem knew God and God's ways very well. I recall my parents saying to me, I don't want to spank you, but when I became a parent, I understood the necessity of the paddle. We parents would much rather take the punishment ourselves, yet out of love, we know that we must discipline children in love for their own good. A great preacher once said, to be very near to God involves no small degree of continual correction. God can't allow a man of God or a woman of God to be sloppy and careless. So Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For the Lord disciplines whom he loves, and he scourges every son whom he receives. This is speaking of divine discipline, which is so necessary in our lives. The means of God's discipline can be afflictions, persecutions, and all kinds of trials. God rebukes us to expose our faults so that we might acknowledge them and repent. This happened to King David when he was boldly rebuked by the prophet Nathan for stealing another man's wife. That narrative is told in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to tell David a parable that there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had only one little ewe lamb. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food and even drank from his cup, slept in his arms, and was like a little daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and the rich man greedily took the poor man's lamb, killed it, and prepared it for his guests to eat, rather than preparing one of his own many animals from his abundant flocks. Well, King David, when he heard that, burned with anger and said with indignation to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Then Nathan boldly said to David, you 
are the man. How stunned David was, but he acknowledged his sin, even though tragically, there would be consequences. Because Nathan prophesied, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and all of his wives. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you more. Why then have you despised the command of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You took the wife of Uriah the Hittite and had him put to the sword. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. So God greatly disciplined David. But trials, as in the case of Job in the Bible, are not always sent by God himself. Satan can be the agent of our troubles. Even though such persecutions are permitted to test us and to refine us, they're permitted by God. The Lord makes the bitter things that happen to us to become medicinal. Now today, I want to share a word of personal testimony because the world is in such turmoil with bitter hatred and so much racism being stirred up once again. By God's grace, calling, and leadings, I've spent some of the most productive years of my ministry in the Middle East, Africa, and Asia, far away from the culture of my birth. And one of the emphases of my ministry is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I love these verses. 14 to 15, it says, For Messiah's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for us. So from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. God reconciled us to himself through Messiah and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Messiah, not counting men's trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Messiah. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Messiah, be reconciled to God. Because God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. When I was a young child, through being taught the Bible by my parents, God gave me a special love for the Jewish people, the people of the book. Through visions and many spirit-led experiences in the Holy Land, God also gave me a supernatural love for the Jews' half-brothers, the Arabs. And I've been busy working amongst them as a minister of reconciliation through preaching and Bible teachings explaining God's eternal purposes for Israel, the nations, and the church. The Jerusalem Channel has a worldwide audience and teaches about Israel, the church, and the nations. We also hold many prayer tour conferences in Israel. Through my parents and through understanding the Bible and its foundation of the Hebrew Scriptures, I learned that the greatest blessing in the world and the hinge of history is the cross of Messiah. Not, of course, the wood of the cross, but what happened on that wooden altar in Jerusalem. You see, the cross cancels the sentence of death against sinners, and it even cancels sicknesses, if we will believe, in all of the power available in the atonement. Somebody wrote to me this week urgently, asking me to pray, 
because they said a bunch of witches were again going to hurl curses against believers. But I answered what I've said many times, that long ago I took on the mindset of one of my mentors, Reinhard Bonka of Blessed Memory, that the blood of Jesus was not shed in vain and that the curse undeserved cannot alight. That's Proverbs 26, 2. And another translation simply says, a curse without a cause will not come. You see, nothing can get through the bloodline of Jesus' protection because God is in control. Can we as believers learn to declare 1 John 4, 4, greater is he within you than he who is in the world? And Isaiah 54, 17, one of my favorite go-to verses declares, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. One of the scariest things on earth is making the cross of the Savior of none effect. Hebrews 10, 29 asks, how much more severely do you think one deserves to be punished who has trampled on the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and insulted the spirit of grace? You know, scripture says that the rapture, the great snatch, our gathering together unto the Lord must come first. And those who did not receive the love of the truth will be the ones left behind to watch the abomination that makes desolate in the third temple, which will be rebuilt in the future. For the gospel's sake, to win as many souls as possible, it's my prayer that the Lord will help you and me to redeem the time and to live holy, productive lives as salt and light, preservatives of society, so that we can be voices of hope in a quickly collapsing world. So urgently, I must encourage you now to put your faith and trust in the Lord, the world's only Savior, while there's time. John 3:16 silences the race card because it declares that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We've been speaking today about divine wisdom. It's the greatest gift for it directs us to Jesus the Messiah, who is the wisdom of the Father. The door of salvation is open and there's still room for you to humble yourself at the foot of the cross. They're talking a lot about kneeling today, but let's kneel at the cross. In the meantime, I also want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which continually reports on Bible prophecy and end time events, especially as they relate to the church and to the nation of Israel. And at our website and our Jerusalem channel YouTube website, we also have uploaded a library of videos available 24-7. And we invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine called Exploits, based upon Daniel 11.32, which declares that the people who know their God are going to be strong, not weak, and will carry out exploits meaning that we will accomplish the works of the Lord in the remaining time that we have left before the Lord's imminent return. We can stay in touch through your phones and tablets with our free Jerusalem Channel app 
And if you have any questions, feel free to contact me on the social media. And so until next time, you know me, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha.